From the iHeartRadio studios in New York City, come two diehard fans of the greatest rock and roll band hailing from Hollywood, California. Dissecting all things Guns N' Roses and anything else in their distorted minds, it's Brando and Scotto. And this is Appetite for Distortion. And welcome to the podcast, episode 23. My name is Brando, Appetite for Distortion. With me, as always, is my partner in Perfect Crime, Scott O'Kama Ian. What's going on, Starry Eyes? Well, let's be honest. This is really a continuation of, of uh, the last show that well, you heard. This, this so, could be the one episode somebody might not listen to the previous yeah, yeah. episodes, so even though we want to. The same things that you heard going on last episode. But yeah, no, we're, we're chilling here with Art Tavana, continuing our discussion. Yeah, from yeah. The, the most exciting man in journalism working on a Guns N' Roses book, yeah. which I'm... I'm Thrills, dude. Finally, know. the show's all about me. I'm excited. Well, we got to <laughs> right. give somewhat of a, a backstory a little bit with yeah. Art. I mean, he's written for Playboy, written for LA Weekly, working on a Guns N' Roses book, which will be the best Guns N' Roses book out there. Uh, I've also written for a bunch of other people who haven't paid me yet, so we'll talk about that <laughs> and, later. And I'm won an award for the Izzy yes. Stradlin interview that he mm-hmm. did, well, article that yeah. you did, which we covered in, in your first interview with us. Yeah, that, uh, yeah I, won, I won an L.A. Press Plus Press Club award for the Izzy Stradlin article. Well, You're a very tub. important man. Yeah. And right now, that is our most listened to episode. However, the Dave Kushner one's right behind you. And nice. it's been out a shorter amount of time, so he'll beat you. But right now, you have that claim to fame. But I'm even talking about more of the backstory because I still get a kick. Uh, uh, and whenever I talk to somebody off the air about this podcast and who we've interviewed and where it can go, I'm like, there was this uh, journalist from LA Weekly who, who found us. Right. And, you know, he's helped us, um, you know, connect to certain interviews um, like Vicki Hamilton, you know, you helped out. And, and just what you've contributed to our show and what just following you on social media. Yeah, no, we're, we're BFFs now being Facebook friends and following <laughs> each other on Twitter. But even if I didn't know you, I feel like you're a name that should be known and hopefully will be known uh, because you're very opinionated, very intelligent, and of course you're a massive Guns N' Roses fan, so that all ties in. Right. So it's just awesome having you here because, of course, you hail from Los Angeles. Los Angeles. Hold on, are you insinuating my name's not known? What's, what's yeah, I would here? say it is. Uh, Wait after up. The, after the Playboy article, he's not and all Tommy Lauren. Yeah. Uh, Tommy Laren. Laren gives a shit. <laughs> gives a shit. <laughs> Tommy Laren follows him because that's what we were talking about before we recorded. Tommy Laren. No, but the he's fact that there. Art is is covering like these protests going on in L.A. that that have you know in some Berkeley. cases gotten Berkeley. in Berkeley that have in some cases gotten violent. Yep. But that you're giving. A, you know, I would say the cool thing about you that I, I was talking about before we even recorded, I wouldn't say that your take is like an objective journalist standpoint. At the same time, you're not you're not you're not siding with either um, and between like liberals and conservatives out there. Right. But you're able to say you're able to kind of poke fun and right. say that there's assholes on both sides. Absolutely. Deal with it. And and. You're taking it from a perspective I haven't heard, so I loved. I really loved the Playboy article. Thank you. And uh, yeah, Art's name is is getting fucking huge. Yeah, I think it's fuck? getting there. What <laughs> the fuck? Come I on, say you are nobody. I watched yeah. Art's like Twitter following, like yeah. shoot up. I'm verified on Twitter, mother. Yeah, and he's okay, verified. That is right. true. You I'm are verified. Kidding. I don't really give a shit. Yeah, I got, um Yeah, I do care. Actually, <laughs> I was really excited when I got verified. No, but I, I write for conservative blogs, 
liberal blogs, nobody, like music people, rock journals, I don't give a shit. I'll write for anybody. All I ever say is as long as it's my opinion and no one changes it, I'm happy. Yeah. That's that, it. That makes sense. Have we talked to you about, because, um, you know, I, we don't want to get, I mean, we've had enough politics on this show. We have a whole episode of Guns and Politics. But what, did we talk mm-hmm. to Art about what you thought uh, with the, the Trump um, pinata. Did we talk to you about that? I think we might have. We could talk about it. I have an opinion on that. All right. So, what is your opinion? I you... think I think it's cool. Look, GNR is a liberal band. Like Axel's liberal. He goes on daily costs and shit all the time. He's leftist, and so is you know the tour manager. And Duff so definitely the, is. You know, Duff. Duff definitely is. Slash. I don't think Slash has ever talked about politics. My guess is he just doesn't really give a shit. But if he did <laughs> give a shit, he'd probably be more like on the left side of the the spectrum. And also, you know, they're in Mexico. You know, they're in Mexico during the height of the fucking Trump, let's build a wall. Right. So it was a smart PR move, and Del James, their tour manager, is a fucking, like, if you go on, this is not even a secret, if you go on Del James' Twitter. Oh, it's crazy. Yeah, he's like, not my president, ultimate, mm-hmm. ultimate Trump hater, and God bless him, freedom of speech, he has the right to say whatever he wants, and yeah, that's, it was funny, it was cool, and it was kind of outrageous, but it's ironic, because, I mean, I think a lot of people who don't know GNR, like a lot of the... The hipsters who listen to shit like NPR, who like waste their time fucking drinking gourmet coffee and shit. These, these <laughs> Art's people, becoming unleashed. Yeah, these people think GNR is like a right wing conservative, like white world, like fucking white supremacist band because of one fucking song in 1988 that like we can't even talk about because it's like if you talk about it, then you're, you know, alt right or some shit. But like it's like no, they're fucking they're like the most left leaning band in America right now or one of. Well, like, I think also part of it is that in 2017, it's uncool to be patriotic. Right. which we've talked about and you know Axel coming out in his tight American flag right. biker shorts uh, you know in 2017 that's not cool and then and then there's the Confederate flag jacket that he'll never mm. he'll never live down that day which is funny because it's all that that was a that was a prop, right, in the Civil War kind of like song yeah. and the the theater of that song, and no one gets it. They see that they see a photo of Axel in a Confederate flag jacket from like 1992, and it's like, oh, he must be, you know, he must hate black people or something because you wrote that one song in 1988, and it's so stupid. It's part of the show. It's theater. He's a Skinnerd fan. I mean, or like to just move on. How about this? The Charles Manson shirt. Which in the early right. '90s it was like, oh my god, this is so shocking. He's wearing a Charles Manson shirt. You go to like Williamsburg, Brooklyn today, people are wearing all different fucking shirts with serial killers and shit on it because oh, it's just sure. it's the cool thing to do. We're in a world where we idolize them uh, now. I mean, maybe not a real serial killer, but I'm talking like TV shows like right. like Dexter or or things of that nature. Yeah. So I can see him. Only- we've mentioned that before. I can't see him doing that. Again, wearing those things again. No. But there's nothing shocking anymore. Like the pentagram and all this. You see all this stuff everywhere, especially if you live in LA or you live in Brooklyn. It's that's not shocking anymore. I think it's actually like wearing a Make America Great Again hat. That's shocking. That is very shocking. That is true. But then um, I want to. Then what's your? Because you said you thought it was a good PR move, right? I thought it was a good, uh, yeah. But I, and I had discussed it. Uh, Ian and I had discussed it on the on the podcast before. When I just went on, not on a forum, not any special like Guns N' Roses hangout, not in any sort of political left or right website, just on their main Facebook page. Sure. The amount of hate that they were getting because of the right. Trump thing, or even uh, the Women's March when uh, Duff wore a T-shirt supporting that, you know, right. just supporting his daughters and his wife. Just the amount of hate. Libtards, all those words being thrown out, and so it's 
it, it's, I mean, it hasn't hurt them. So, I mean, it hasn't hurt their PR. I mean, they have the most successful tour going out right now. They're still doing it. Well, but it was an interesting move. Here's my take on it. GNR is never going to lose their hardcore fan base. They're yeah. never going to walk away. Axel proved the shit that's happened for the last 20 years with this band, the shit the fan, they put the fans through, right? No one ever backed down. Fans never walked away. So GNR can do whatever they want. I, well, when you say that, I mean, the, Axel and Friends were not playing football stadiums. They weren't, but I mean, they, they played Rock and Rio, and they sold the. Fu- I mean, they they were still huge. They weren't as big as they are now, but I think they were doing really well. My point is why I say it's a good PR move is, GNR's like biggest international followings very like South America and Mexico and it's very Latino. So for them, mm-hmm. that's actually really good. Strate- I'm not saying it was a strategic move. I'm not saying that they planned this out. But I think it was good. They appealed to a fan base that's really loyal, really hardcore, and buy a lot of fucking records, buy a lot of merch. And they they did it right when they were in that sort of leg of the tour. And I don't think they're, you know, they're, they're conservative or kind of hardcore fans in the Midwest and South. They're still going to stick by them. I think that they might be pissed off and think this is like another kind of social justice warrior thing. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I think those guys will move on the same way they moved on from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, the same way they moved on from... The fucking the beef between Axel and Slash and all that shit. You're right. So. That letter in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame uh, that really took that what that took the wind out of my sails. Right. More than anything, I think. I was like, pissed. I was like, you know what, Axel, just just shut up. At that point in time, that's when I was like, this reunion is never happening. I so you're so, right. Yeah. If you're a hardcore fan. He will come back. Come I, back. I'm, I'm just getting. I'm picturing Axel saying, "Hey, I could take a gun out to Fifth Avenue and shoot somebody, and they'll still <laughs> buy my music." <laughs> yeah, I've always said GNR is like pro wrestling. I don't know if you guys are pro wrestling fans, but the hardcore fans, yeah. no matter how bad the sh- the fucking shit gets, they come back because they're loyal and they're they're waiting for that. You know, fans are still waiting for Izzy Stradlin. Fans are st- still waiting for a new record. That's a good point. Fans That's are still waiting for a fucking music video. For, you know, it's like they'll wait until they get it, and then they'll stop. That's a good point, because I still kind of watch wrestling, even though I fucking hate it now. Because yeah. <laughs> I'm waiting for something to happen. I'm waiting for Undertaker to return for the 20th time exactly. or whatever. So, no, that, that's a fair point. And I've also, um, we'll get your opinion on this too, Art. And I agree with you, Ian. I thought about it after we spoke about it with Catherine. Would they ever drop... Uh, a, an album like what? Who, who did it? Uh, oh, I've seen Jay Z, uh, Beyonce, uh, Drake. I think right where they just drop an album oh, completely un, uh, unexpected. And, and I thought un- about it after. I'm like, you know what? I agree with you, Ian. I th- I can see them doing that. Yeah. What about you? Could you see Because I mean, that's pretty much how they did the April first show that you were at. Right. No one knew about it unless you were on you know my GNR forum and were reading the rumors. Right. I don't know. It's a tough question. I think GNR is an interesting kind of creature because there's so many different people involved in the negotiating and the decision-making process. It's not just one manager who decides what happens. Or At the end of the day, I think Axel has probably more of a percentage say in some of this stuff. But I think, I mean, how do you sit down and decide to do something like that and just do it? I think all those instances where we talk about people who've done that, it was one guy making a decision. It was Jay-Z, it was Beyonce, it was mm. a band with so many different guys who have to make that decision. I think they would go, my personal opinion, they're gonna go the traditional route, announce it, tour it, I don't know though, I mean, it. if- Well, it didn't Avenged Avenge Sevenfold did that recently and it failed. They, it did. they just dropped an album and it didn't do well. I didn't and, know that. And I, I believe they regretted not that. doing uh, press for it. Because I was gonna say, if Guns N' Roses, let's just say, comes right. out with an album tomorrow right. from mm-hmm. when we're recording this, which hopefully it doesn't, because we're, we're putting this up a few <laughs> a few days after. Um, 
but let's just say that that happened. Sure. Don't you think it'd be the number one thing trending on Twitter all well, day? Sure. And yeah, that, I mean, Absolutely. it would be bigger than anything else. No matter what it would do. The question I don't think was, I mean, the question was whether they would do it, not whether it would be a fucking hit. It would be a hit. Yeah. Absolutely. Sure. It'd be the biggest news in music. It would sell, you know, ridiculous. It would destroy iTunes. It would destroy Spotify and all that shit. But as the question is, would they do it? And I think that, I think this is a band that probably had a, a long negotiating process to even pick their fucking set list. Yeah. And a, an album release like that would be so, I mean, the label, the band, Axel, Slash's managers, you know, Team Brazil, all these different, you know, there's a lot of constituencies and people in that negotiating room. That's, it's a complicated thing. I don't know if it can happen. The fact that you could say that, and we are where we are still with the amount of people that the reunion is still happening. Is still amazing to me. It's remarkable, I think. Yeah, it's great. I hope it keeps going, and I think it's going to end this year. It's, it looks like it's ending this year. I'm not sure, but yeah, I, I think that it's going to end it on a high note, probably in Los Angeles, and then it's going to, you know, hopefully there'll be some sort of material released, a video, a documentary, an album, something. A book? A book, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> By me. How did you first get into them? Because we're, we're the same age, oh, you and I, 33. Uh, you know, Ian's a, you know a couple years younger, which is irrelevant, really. Right. And I guess no, because growing up, where my we spoke about uh, the last episode or a few minutes ago, however you want to break the fourth wall, Ian, uh, that my dad got me into Zeppelin, The Doors, and of course Natural Progression, GNR. Right. So in LA, I mean, what was I mean? That is that where you grew up? Is it, are you like, yeah, I'm born and raised in Los Angeles. How did I get into GNR? So. I got into GNR vaguely as a kid on MTV, seeing um, "Welcome to the Jungle" for the first time, and I think that was like I probably the saw video that, or live the video, okay. the video of "Welcome to the Jungle" for the first time. But I never became an obsessed fan. I remember seeing that and thinking it was just it was scary. It was like right. So I want to know like when it clicked because when I first liked them, yeah. I didn't become obsessed. It was it was years later where a girl that I dated was also right, obsessed, and right. that kind of bled into me. I became obsessed with November Rain, 1992. Yeah. I remember literally the year. I don't know if it was the premiere, if it was when I saw it exactly, but it was my neighbor's sis, big sister's living room. It was the living room on the on the fucking carpet. The video came on for the first time that I saw it. And I was like, this is, what it, like, it was like Shakespeare. It was like high drama, the solo in front of the church with Slash. It was just like everything, to me it was everything rock and roll was supposed to be in a nutshell. I felt the same me. way about that song. It's so funny because we've also done the, uh, another episode, uh, if you want, if you haven't listened to it yet, November Rain versus Strange. And I'm kind of oh, saying yeah. the same thing, like November Rain, I'm like, this is what, this is it. This is it for me, yeah. That was it for me. The video, the, 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 the cemetery, the casket, the romance, the fucked up like rock star, Drinking, like the death, the symbolism, the whole video was just out of this world. I mean, that was the moment where I became an obsessed fan. So, how old was I? I was nine years old in 1992. So, for me, that was just like the moment where I'm like, this is the greatest band ever. And then it was all the drama. It was all the shit, Axel. Then you watch MTV News, all this shit that's happening. I mean, I remember St. Louis, that was before November Rain. I saw that. And again, that was when GNR was too scary for me. That band was like, what the... This we also were really young kids. So. Yeah, but I remember watching Kurt Loder coming out and saying Axl Rose jumps off the stage and beats the shit out of some fan. I was like, what the... F this is like, this is too much. It was like Sex Pistols or Jim Morrison and like all this weird shit happening at once. I didn't get it. I was like, this is scary. But November Rain was like, okay, this is like uh, something you can appreciate. It was like Disney. It was like watching like fucking Beauty and the Beast, but like it was GNR. It was great. So that was that was my first indoctrination. I, I, I kind of feel it's the same thing. It's it's November rain for me. I, I, I said before, I'm like, art is like my 
bizarro Brando in a way. <laughs> like if it, 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 you're my West Coast Brando, there's a lot West of Coast. yeah. You're you're me without the medication. Except I hate the West Coast. So <laughs> everyone maybe. hates where they're from. Yeah, I guess so. I wanted to leave New York for the longest time. Too many snobs in the West Coast. Too many people complaining about shit that doesn't matter. The East Side. If you guys welcome have ever to the been, world. Have you guys ever been to the East Side of Los Angeles, like the Eastern part of LA? No, I've been to LA once and uh, so long ago, so I don't think so. So it's like you know Williamsburg and shit over here. Mm-hmm. So imagine that in Los Angeles with little, little, like no differences aesthetically, which is r- much more like heightened snobbery like to the next level of like <laughs> and just really bad taste in music and bad taste in fucking food and coffee it's just this really obnoxious and you're I don't even go out I just stay in my room I just literally don't even leave the house anymore because I just can't stand it waving that GNR flag high you can't you can't even wave it yeah you can't you can't there's a lot of flags you can't wave over there because <laughs> they have their opinions about things so fair I'm enough gonna, uh, I'm gonna go there. I, I don't want to get you too angry too soon. I, you know, I want to <laughs> spread out the the Artavana um, rage over the course of this episode. There's no rage. Uh, rage. I want to know about. Uh, tell us about the Izzy article because I know we, we did talk about it on an episode, but since then, because you did win an award, and right. we haven't spoken to you since your Melissa Reese article. Yeah, right. which I, I can't believe you got to hang out with you, Melissa right, Reese. Because you, cool. you you told us about it off air. We couldn't say right. anything, right. and then and then it came out and. You know, just seeing her reaction from it, you know, right. she was like, I'm on the cover, and she was like, you know, she was fangirling out, so that's... Well, a- yeah, I mean, we could talk about Izzy first. So Izzy sure. Stradlin, the piece was, it happened in the weird time in, like, my career with The Weekly, because I'd written this story this like, what I thought was like, just f- like a fun little fluff piece about a pop star named Sky Ferreira, and everyone flipped out about it, it became, like, international news, Artavana, blah, 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 it was really controversial. The Weekly, at that point, had decided that... I shouldn't be writing for them for a while. Mm. <laughs> I was like basically suspended, but um, it was fun. I didn't care. I don't give a shit. That happens to me all the time. So, and then the Izzy Stradlin idea came up, and I'm like, why don't I do a fucking like, why don't I do the like definitive piece on Izzy? And then I like kind of put pull, like pull back and said, why don't I just go try to find the guy? Because nobody knows where he is. Nobody can talk to him. Nobody knows what he's up to. I'm just gonna go fucking find the guy. So I basically like went on a mission to find him, and I tracked down everybody that I could find that knew him or had possibly known him. And I kind of did a lot of detective work. And you know, I used to work in politics, so I have a lot of op research knowledge I'm, and I'm, tools. I'm so. picturing you with a Sherlock hat and oh like, yeah, uh, you know, just like um, well, there's <laughs> a shit, monocle. There's shit I did and found along the trail that I couldn't put in the article that legally I just can't even like talk about ever, and I'll, I'll never like go there. But let's put it this way: like I probably have more information on Izzy Stradlin than any human being should possibly ever have <laughs> on anybody, like period. And then through that, you know, random people that have been around him, I discovered and talked to. One thing I do want to say that wasn't in the article, and I'll say. Now I don't really give a shit. I went to Brethren Studios, which is where he records in Ojai, and I base well, I kind of snuck in there, but not like really snuck in there. I kind of like just bullshitted my way into the studio. Like I told him I want a tour, and and then said, "Hey, show me, show me the Izzy Master." You gave the security guard a handy. I got it. Well, it was like, oh, yeah, well, I did, I did, I did some <laughs> shit. I did some shit to get in that studio, um, and then I got to fucking listen to the masters. Like Holy of all the shit that he's working on currently, and I couldn't include that in the article because of legal um, concerns. But I can talk about it now. It was me, the LA Weekly. You know, they did their ethical journalistic duty on leaving that out. But I'll talk about it right here. I went into the studio. I asked for a tour. I told them I wanted to like talk about Izzy. No secrets. And they showed me the fucking masters, and I listened to him. I wasn't supposed to hear the masters because the guy who played it for me, who I won't out here, was like, Izzy will fucking kill me if I 
if I do this for you, but I'm going to do it for you because I know you're such a fucking fan. Mm. And he showed me where Izzy recorded and where the like Rick Richards and all the various guys that Izzy plays with now. So that was good. The article was awesome. I, I told my editor I'm going to write like a fucking killer piece. It was a killer piece. I think it did really well. It blew up. I think the fans really dug it because I think there was about five or six pieces of like breaking news kind of thing, like history changing items in the piece that I mm-hmm. thought was really important to have in there that I didn't want to put in there because I am writing a book. I wanted to save some of this shit for the book, but mm-hmm. you know what? Like, it's like, why? Like, the fans the fans deserve to know this the cool shit. Like, fans need to know that Juju Hounds could have been on SNL and didn't go on SNL. The fans need to know about the story about Axel and Izzy and fucking, you know, Indiana and their classroom, in their art class with Jane Boswell, their art teacher. They're drawing, like, skulls and shit on T-shirts. Like, in, ni- in like, 1979, like... Gnar was like born in an art class on a fucking table in 1979. That's kind of cool. Do you feel comfortable getting all this information? Because I I would feel borderline stalkerish. You know, no. <laughs> this, I, mean, I really would. Because if someone told me, you, you know, they were obsessed with what I do in some way and wanted to write a book on me and the people that I'm around, which they they wouldn't me. But I work right. around some people who are interesting. I I would probably be like, get this guy the fuck out of here. Well, didn't you know? that happen with uh, right. John Miller, our, our buddy, who you're meeting later for uh, for drinks while you're yeah. in, in the city? Get fucked up tonight. Yeah, John I mean, Miller. I, you seem like a pretty like straightforward, cool guy. Well, that's you not you... in any way make me think, you know, make me feel that you're a weird stalker type. Right. But but some of the stuff you do. Is, is a little questionable. Yeah. Well, that, well, that's yeah. what John Absolutely. did. Remember when he went up to Slash, when Slash came into his sure. restaurant, and he's like, I want to make a movie about you. Uh, well, get away from me, freak. Yeah, that's creepy. Um, <laughs> I, I've never, ever... So let's put it this way. My word is my bond. If someone tells me something, and I, I they tell me not to write about it, not to publish it, not to break it, or if I feel like there's something that's going to hurt someone in a real serious way, potentially dangerous, or potentially life-threatening, or potentially you know legally... You know, a troubling thing. I'll never include it. I'm not one of those. See, the thing is, I get everything, and ninety percent of the shit I get, I don't publish. Yeah, it's never. It's in my laptop. It's in my secret Still drive. Just going where you go. You know what it reminds me of? Right. I, like we don't have it to pull off now. But um, you ever see? I've come across this on YouTube. This guy who drives to Axel's house. And does the November Rain guitar solo in front of Axel's house? I have seen that. <laughs> like that's like I could that's picture hilarious. Axel though from you know his giant mansion looking down and being like, "Get this guy the fuck out of here!" You know what I mean? Like I don't think <laughs> yeah, he would that's... appreciate that. Violations of privacy are, are an issue. I know, so I could I could have easily, I one hundred percent could have gone up to Izzy's door, knocked on it. I actually knew for a fact at one point because I spoke and this wasn't in the article. I spoke to a mechanic who had just worked on one of his bikes, and I pretty much knew for a fact that Izzy was home at that, like, in the few hour span. And I could have gone to his house, could have knocked on the door, and crossed what I consider to be a line that I would never cross. I'd mm-hmm. never go to someone's house and knock on their door. I think that's a privacy thing. I did leave a note for him in his mailbox. I thought that was fair. If the fucking United States Postal Service can leave a mailbox, a sure. mail, I can leave a fucking letter in your box. So I did that. I asked him if he wanted to talk to me. He chose not to. I spoke to several people who said that they had reached out to him to see if he wanted to speak to me, and he declined. So that's it. Done. Next. Moving on. So I'm never going to violate privacy. If I see Axel or Slash or Izzy in person, I'd never walk up to him and be like, hey, man, like I'm a reporter. You know, can I can I get a quote? I'd never do that just because I think that they have private lives and I would never interfere with that. But that being as a fan, would I walk up to him? I've always hated I've like always hated being that guy because I feel like it's just like, you know, they don't think you're special. 
they, you're just a fan, and like you're just fucking, you're one of the million people. They have private lives. What are you going to gain from that fucking autograph? I don't want an autograph. If I had an original copy of the like the Robert Williams Appetite on me, and like Slash was standing right there and had a marker in my hand, yeah, <laughs> I'd be like, holy shit, this is like never going to happen ever Fair again. Enough. But I'm not going to walk him the guy. He's a napkin, dude. Or like, yeah, I yeah. love. I, I think you're the greatest guitar player of all time. He doesn't give a fuck. He hears that every single day from really hot girls. Like, who does? Who's Art Tavana? Just, but he, I mean. I know they've read my stuff. I know they've liked some of it. They haven't liked some of it. But I'd like to talk to them on like a professional level. But not. I'm not going to fanboy like that. I think that's fair. You know what's funny? I I watched the fact um, that I fanboy like that. (laughs) I watched a. uh, (laughs) I I watched a a Facebook Live that Nikki Six did, Mm -hmm. and he was saying that nowadays no one even wants an autograph. He said that you know someone went up to him and oh, I never asked for one, just pictures. Yeah, he was like everybody was just you know was always like, can I get a picture? Let me get a picture. Let me take a selfie. And gotta get those likes. Gotta get those likes on Facebook. Yeah, Nikki Six apparently said to one girl. He was like, no, I, I don't want to take a picture. He was like, I'll, I'll sign an autograph. And he was like, no one cares about autographs right. anymore, which is kind of true. It's just all about social media. Yeah. And having an autograph is not that impressive Everybody for social wants, media. Everyone wants the selfie. They want like a weird merch item or something like, you know what I mean? Like, this, yeah, the, the autograph is like just so like 1995. I will say Nikki Six, I was supposed to be on his podcast or his radio show, whatever. The, Six Sense. Yeah, whatever. After yes. the after the um, the secret GNR show in April. And I was supposed to be on there, and they canceled on me, which I'm kind of bitter about. And then hmm. um, I try to interview him, and his his P, I'll say this straight up: his person or PR person or manager, whoever the fuck it was, said that he never really interacted with Izzy Stradlin before on the street. And I'm like, really? Like this is like this is for the Izzy piece. I try yeah. to I try to interview Nikki as well for the Izzy piece, and the, and the reaction was he never really had in like that many conversations with Izzy Stradlin. So I'm like, okay, let's that doesn't that's seem bullshit. accurate. Yeah. <laughs> that's bullshit. <laughs> um, rep. Maybe that think, he doesn't remember. But well, I think a lot of people think that you don't really know the shit you're doing, and they think that you're just going to be kind of like, well, it's fine. He was busy. He had better shit to do, and I don't hold that against him at all. He's he's a busy man, but. You know, I just think some your people, intentions. I get it. That's why we were with yeah. first with Dave Kushner. Like, I don't think he knew our intentions, but then afterwards, you know, he's our best friend now. Yeah. I, just, I just look at myself as a historian, on, a historian on Guns N' Roses, and I don't, I don't see, I don't write about gossip. I don't write about the shit that people are going to be fucking flipping their minds. Like, I don't care about the, the weird rumors and shit. Like, I, I care about this band's history. And like, you don't, we don't, but everyone else does, yeah. and that's the problem. You know, how yeah, do they well, sift through that now that they're all in a good place? You know, and Axel, you know, whether or not all these are, are rumors about him throughout right. the years, he doesn't know who's a friend. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's true. Like, I don't we, blame we him. Know you're, we know you're a good guy, Art Devana. I don't blame him at all. And people are people care about his religious practices or whatever and all this weird... Who cares? Like, seriously, yeah. I want to talk about the music. I want to talk about the recordings. I want to talk about the people that are behind these songs and what these songs meant and the legacy and the history of these songs. That's it. He's very exclusive with who he likes to do interviews with. I mean, like, Eddie Trunk is on that list, which Eddie Trunk got... Kind of a weird guy. I mean, right. Did, did you listen? Oh, I, this is all, a little off topic, but did you listen to that guy who called in uh, to his radio show and asked what Michael Sweet from Striper was up to? No. Oh, I've never heard a guy just like throw a hissy fit yeah. more than that. What so happened? It was just a fan, and, and he was like, hey, love the show, you know, regular call. And then he was like, oh, by the way, what is Michael Sweet from Striper up to? Okay. And, and he was like... You know, it was that whole attitude of uh, do you not listen to the show? Google him. He's he's touring. He's doing. But I, him I think, and more than anyone else is like really super active too. He is. But the thing is, I don't think Eddie Trunk gets, and I get it. All right, that um, and I'm not attacking the guy, but 
that there are people who are just very casual fans of this music. They right. don't they don't Google what's going on. They have other <laughs> things going on in their lives. And the one time that they listen to this music is when they turn on Sirius XM or a podcast, iHeartRadio, iHeartRadio, and and you know just listen for that twenty minutes or so. Right. He thinks everybody should be like him and be diehard super fans. So, you know, if someone went up to us from um, my GNR, or sorry, someone went up to us from Appetite for Distortion and said like, hey, what is DJ Ashba up to? I would never right. flip out and then be like, dude, do not listen to the yeah, show. Right, I mean, right. I get it. Not everybody is a diehard fan. No, I do get it. But when you're as emotionally invested as Eddie Trunk, yeah. I guess you can kind of flip out. And well, same thing for you, Art. You get emotionally invested into your articles, no? I will say, yeah, I do. I do. But I will say I kind of, I don't relate to Eddie Trunk because obviously Eddie Trunk is fucking like world famous and shit. But I mean, I get so many fucking messages from people asking me about Izzy Stradlin. Where is he? Have you talked to him? What's he up to? Is he surfing? Is he? I'm like, first of all, I don't know. I don't really know what he's up to every single day. I don't keep track. And second, it, it does kind of, it gets you after a while. You're like, dude, I'm not like a fuck. I'm not TMZ. You mm-hmm. know, it's not It's not my job to know what these people are doing in their private lives. I'm a, I'm a rock historian or a music journalist, whatever term you want to use. And I don't really know what they're up to in these fans. Some of these fans are really, really obsessed with the kind of hero worship aspect of this shit. Like, they're sure. like, oh my God, what's he up to? Is he, is he like, what does he look like now? Oh my God, I just saw a selfie of him from, it's like, dude, I don't give a shit. Like, I don't care about the celebrity worship, trendy Hollywood bullshit. Like, I'm not Us Weekly, I'm not OK Magazine, you know what I mean? Like, I'm not Gawker. I care about the music. Care well, about Gawker's the dead, isn't it? Well, sort of. <laughs> I think they're still around. Well, they're dead, the, but they're off, the It's like Deadspin and things like yeah, that, the, but the actual Gawker. They're dead. There's a documentary about them on Netflix. Have you guys seen this documentary on Netflix, by the way? It's the, the one with Hogan, right? Yeah. I haven't watched it yet. Oh, no, I did not oh see that. Oh, my God, it's fucking cool. I forgot the name, but it's basically about how, like, these millionaire, billionaire, like, tech guys are trying to te- take down, like, media sites that, like, they just have a vendetta with. Oh, wow. And that's what Gawker was. It was, like, this guy, I forgot who, what his name was, but Peter Thiel or something? And he literally, like, funded the operation, an illegal campaign to destroy Gawker, and he did. And all because Gawker, like, talked about his sexuality like a couple years ago in a very like sort of kind of mean-spirited way and his thing was like well well, fuck you i'm taking you down and he did and his theory was the documentary's theory was that trump is doing that now to cnn yeah which is very fucking which is very crazy well whatever i'm not gonna go there but like let's (laughs) let's move on from cnn before i get like before i get arrested you're in many worlds that's what it is so yeah i don't know well then i got uh moving on from izzy tell us about melissa melissa was great i mean melissa was a year, no, over a year? It took over a year to make Melissa happen. It wasn't really a complicated thing. She's just been touring and really busy. And, you know, you have to understand the kind of the concerns with the band um, and just her in general. It's just like, how do you know what reporters' intentions are? Absolutely. And the last thing they want, and, and, and I told them, I, don't, I have no interest in going into an interview with Melissa and spending five hours asking her questions about Axl Rose. I don't. Don't give a shit. Like, and I know it's gonna make her feel uncomfortable. She has a job to do, and part of her job is protecting the privacy privacy of the guys she's mm-hmm. touring with. She's not sure. gonna go and talk about their fucking private lives. So, it was great. I went. I went to her. I went to her aunt's house in Los Angeles, which is this fucking beautiful, like, I don't want to say a mansion, but pretty much a mansion. Really beautiful house in Los Angeles. Sat down with her, one on one. Talked to her about music, art, fucking gambling in Las Vegas. She's she's a f- huge huge Vegas fan and she loves to gamble and this is she's completely open about this she's like an amazing like player and she like kills the casinos hmm. yeah it's at really what? cool at what in particular and she's, 
I don't know what game she plays because I don't know anything about gambling. I have no. This is something sure. about me that was like really embarrassing during the interview. Was I was I'm scared of gambling because I'm just frightened of how to like I don't know how to play these games. They all I, I suck at numbers. Cards scare the shit out of me. Like what about a slot I machine. Can't. Well, who the fuck wants to play slot? You, also <laughs> you just get, pull a lever. Yeah, you also like, can't get rich doing it. I mean, I, I yeah. like playing slots now and again. But. So the whole thing was her and her and her um, rep, who's this really sweet girl, were like, "Let's take you to Vegas and let's let's fucking gamble." I'm like, "Let's go right now." And they're like, "Well, let's plan this out." So, <laughs> uh, we have we we haven't planned it out. You're um, like, I got my bags. But ready. she was great. She's so talented. She's such a nice person. She's so down to earth. She's not weird. And How old is she? Contrived. I have no idea. Um, I would say. I'd probably say like in her 20s or something. I have no fucking clue how old she is. But she was really fucking cool and really down to earth and talked about working with Brain, which is really cool because so I want to. Brain is her husband or fiance? Because I remember hearing that, but I, I didn't see it confirmed anywhere. No, they're not dating or married in any capacity that I know of. I don't think they're like together in any way. I do think they had either a friendship or some sort of relationship at some point, And then that sort of developed into, you know, her entry point, I think, into GNR. Um, but Brain, you know, he was a drummer for sure. GNR, sure. Two points with that. A, she's 32, so right in our wheelhouse. Okay. Uh, although we respect her as a musician and as, as a person. Uh, also, with Brain, I don't. Did I mention this uh, on the episode that I reached out to him? I know I may have told you off air what he responded. Oh wow. Oh yeah, I, I reached out to to the Brain, wow. and, and his website is definitely totally like 1999, just very yeah. old school. What? And, and I was just looking for an email address. And there was none there. It was a typical, like when you go to a certain website, you have to fill out a form. Yeah, yeah. And like, oh, we'll respond. I'm like, I'm not mm -hmm. going to hear back. And he responded a couple days later to my Gmail uh, account. And he said, uh, oh, you know what? I want to read it. I want to actually read it. I don't want to. That's fucking great. You know, I love this kind of shit. And I, I, I really did not think he was going to respond. I've always it. wanted to interview him. But the thing is, again, like he's not going to want to sit there and talk about GNR all day. He's just not. He's going to want to talk about his music, his projects. And that's fair. Yeah, but he's done so much, too. I mean, with Primus, yeah. with Buckethead. And it's, and it's you know, it's, it's I, you know what I would want? A great interview would be Brain, Buckethead, and Melissa, like the weird GNR side like creatures in a yeah. room together and just talk to him about everything. But Buckethead's just never going to talk. That, that gonna you're not going to get. No, absolutely. I mean, for sure. But you I tried I can't, to get I, him to talk, correct? I have. I tried for a really long time. I talked to his manager constantly for about two months, and all I ever got was, I'll ask him again. I'll ask him again. Probably not going to do it. I'll ask him again. So he's asked him like 15 times. I wrote him a fucking letter. <laughs> Keep it up. Keep I wrote it up, Buckethead man. a letter. No response. Yeah, you I had to think, put birdseed in the envelope. You know, I don't, think, I don't think he'll talk. But you know what would be more interesting is to talk to people that actually know him really well. I found that to be way more Bootsy interesting. Bootsy Collins, good friend of his. People like that, Boots, or or even Brain or somebody. People well, have like collaborated with him. I found well the first thing with with Brain, what he I can't find the email, but what he did respond with was saying, uh, you know, thanks for reaching out. Um, I'm working with some people that are close with GNR right now, so I just can't talk about it. Mm. Uh, and he said, love your work, thanks. So I don't know if that was just a generic response or he's actually listened. Regardless, I really appreciate the fact that he responded. So I did say that, and I opened up the invitation. Hey, if you don't want to talk about GNR, want to talk about Primus, <laughs> yourself, uh, that's, that's all good. But with Bucket, cool. I, I found out, I even know this because it's one of my favorite movies ever, uh, Last Action Hero. With Arnold oh, Schwarzenegger, yeah. shitty movie, but I liked it. Uh, Buckethead's <laughs> on the soundtrack. No way. Yeah, Buckethead's on the Last Action Hero soundtrack. And That's he's on cool. he's on one of the earlier Power Ranger movie soundtracks. He's done a lot of interesting. <laughs> See, I stuff. had no idea. I think I, I mentioned it last episode. He did the score of the unreleased spinoff to Texas, uh, uh, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre back wow. in like the, like the the eighties. Dude, Buckethead is one of the greatest guitarists of all time. No I mean, doubt. I would. 
I, I know that the GNR camp wouldn't, you know, fans listening wouldn't agree with me most of them, but I, I rank him above Slash as a guitar player, as a technical guitar player. Right. I, I do agree him. with you, actually. Yeah. I've listened to more solo Buckethead, but he's Slash that, has got the soul, but I mean, Bucket, I mean, I'm just blown away. And he's also, he's, he's, Slash is the better guitarist for Guns N' Roses. Like, no denying that, of course. You know, it's almost, I'm, I'm a big Motley Crue fan, as I always bring up. John Karabi. Better vocalist than Vince Neil, for sure. Sure. But Vince Neil is the better singer for Motley Crue. When right. you want to go mm-hmm. see Home Sweet Home and Dr. Feelgood and all those great songs, it's it's Vince Neil's voice. You mean you'll want to hear him sing the Star Spangled Banner? Oh, well, oh, I didn't even <laughs> think that I was going to bring all this up. Um, you know what? I got to preface that then. If I'm going to, I have the book. I have the book with me. Okay. So the reason this get, got brought up, <laughs> and I, I forgot all about that. I all even right, because Ian you. had me load in so, some clips. Uh, before believe it or not, it's kind of funny. So, the the one of the libraries near me they had the Vince Neil book you went to and a library feel, yes I went to a library to hey, get a Vince Neil book wow well, here's the funny thing you have like the old lady <laughs> that's like the weirdest out, sentence ever checking uh, out this book and I have Vince Neil's ass on the back cover as they're like the... scanning yeah he's you like, know so here it's like the cover of um Copper Tone with a little kid getting his pants all right down. so <laughs> if we if we get into this book which I completed I enjoyed it um when however, did that come out by the way it's 2010 been... okay I I enjoyed it although the timeline was very off on some parts the facts were off and a lot of parts. What's the title of Vince's book? Um, it's uh, Tattoos and Tequila. Okay. To Hell and Back uh, with uh, one of Rock's most notorious frontmen. And he says... I just love it all the library stamps on it. Tattoos yeah. and Tequila. That's and the goofiest. Says That's he says flat out in the book that not only am I not the one writing this book, he's like, I met at my bar with you know the co-author and right. did a lot of interviews. He was like, I'm dyslexic and I probably will never even read this book. So he was like, after <laughs> you read sell it, it, if you see it... It, well, terrible. by that point, you've already read or, or t- taken out the book. In my case, um, <laughs> but you know, I'm sure, you return it with hop on pop or whatever you also <laughs> you took out. He, uh, yeah. So, so he's like, I'm probably not going to read it, but it, when, if you happen to see me, tell me what you thought mm-hmm. about it. So, mm-hmm. the the reason I originally bookmarked this book was because he talks about the Izzy Stradlin fight. Sure. However, if we're going to play, I got the, both of those clips. Yeah. By the well, way. So we'll get into that. But if we're going to play him doing the Star Spangled Banner, this is why I wanted to pull that up. I thought this was one of the funniest things. We will say Melissa Reese did do the sport. She did a great job. It was like a Seattle game, I believe, last oh, year. Yeah. She oh did yeah. Star yeah. Spangled Banner. Which bitch did not. And it ties into this part right here. So we'll play it after I say this uh, or after you guys react. So, you know, this whole book is about his drunken debauchery. And tell me when to cut it also. Sure. So this this terrible. This book is about, you know, his life, banging porn stars, getting drunk, going in and out of rehab, killing, uh, you know, band ma- a, a, a right. uh, colleague in rock, the for the drummer from Hanoi Rocks, you know, his daughter died. I mean, it's a, it's a crazy book. So anyway, you know, this is the part of the book where you see like, oh, he's turning a new page. But it's in typical Vince Neil fashion. This is how the chapter starts. And it just made me laugh. I was like, I have to bookmark this. I finally got sober on March 4th, 2007. That's the date I give. I'm not going to subject you to the whole AA testimony. The fact is, I don't believe I'm an alcoholic, per se. I still drink on occasion. I have a little champagne now and then, sometimes a little more probably than I need. And sometimes I'll have a shot of tequila, but only Trace Rios, my own brand. Like, how is this you being sober? I love love that. And he plugs his brand in the mix of that. That's the best part. He's promoting his booze. Yeah. And so the point of me asking Brando to pull up him doing the national 
national anthem. This is many years after 2007 when he's allegedly somewhat sober, according to him. Does this sound like a sober man doing the national anthem? Cheerleaders next to him are uh, just trying so hard to hold back laughter. And this is at, I think this was like the Arena Football League that he owns. Yeah. He's talking. Yeah. play the whole thing you get the idea but look wow. i love vince neal but that is not a sober man oh, oh didn't, you just get, didn't you get in a fight like a year and a half ago in With vegas some woman in an airport uh, and yeah, the, the uh, nicholas, nicholas cage, cage yeah. helped him yeah <laughs> he, he, was, he looked pretty fucked up that day that's who we, that's who we need to reach out to oh. nicholas cage oh don't even try i've tried have don't you don't even bother it's, if he's not plugging a movie and if it's not about the movie he ain't doing an interview mm. i still want to try but I would fucking if I could talk to Nicholas, if I could talk to Nicholas Cage about Guns N' Roses for an hour, that would be like the the greatest interview for me. Oh, I can't for even. us too. We got, yeah, we're writing that down. We got to Nicholas we got, Cage. Nick Cage. We got to do it. I don't think it'll happen. The bees, they're in my eyes. The bees. Oh, no, not the bees. Not the bees. So the other part of the book, since we're on the subject, is I've always heard Axel's perspective on what happened at the Video Music Awards. Mm. Was it the Video Music Awards uh, with the Izzy fight, or was it like I know it was that MTV, was the VMAs in '89? Okay, so there you go, pretty encyclopedia sure, yeah. right here. Yeah, pretty sure. Um, so I've always heard at Axel's, the beginning of this report, this tells you. Yeah, I've always heard Axel's perspective of you know that he punched Izzy, and he says we'll play it, but where he says that he that Vince Neil hit like a powder puff. Yeah, this is Vince Neil's perspective. Perspective, which is completely different. So let's hear the clip first. Let's, yeah, All right, let's, let's, go let's for do it. that first. The 1989 MTV Video Music Awards, when Vince allegedly took a swing at GNR guitarist Izzy Stradlin for making passes at his wife. <laughs> it was between us, had nothing to do with Axel. Izzy laughs because he's like, that guy, you know, had a full on free shot, you know, and hit like a powder puff. Axel challenged Vince to fight him outside Tower Records after the awards show. The Headbangers brawl never took place, but Axel challenged Neil again in 1990. Anytime he wants it, anywhere, Atlantic City, I don't care. Axel, if you're watching this, I want to challenge you to a fight. It's time to rock and roll. The odds makers had Axel a heavy favorite. His really? power and with his ability this is more of to Albert, send yeah. up against the ropes will be just too much. I, I like Axel, TKO, early round. Yes! <laughs> I can't believe that. Marv Albert? Yeah. yeah. Wow. And, and they interview some other I remember watching after. that on VH1. Oh, um, I, the first time I saw that part of it with Marv Albert. Yeah. yeah. That's, pretty, so, that's, that's too funny. All right, so what did Vince so have to here's say? Vince Neal's perspective, which is completely different than Axel's perspective. Uh, and, you know, this might be good for your book. I don't know if you've ever oh, heard please. this. And every now and again, when I read a book, I, I come across some, you know, a music book. I come across some GNR wisdom I've never heard or just inside stuff. So Insane Clown Posse you brought yep. here. Yeah, go ahead. So uh, in early September of 1989, Motley was invited to present the award for Best Heavy Metal Album at the MTV Music Video Awards. Oh, there you go. At uh, the University. 
Universal Amphitheater in Universal City. It was a huge honor. We were stoked to get the exposure. After we did our bit, we were sitting in the audience when Guns N' Roses came out to play with Tom Petty earlier in the year. Uh, while I was away on a whitewater rafting trip with some guys, GNR rhythm guitarist Izzy Stradlin had to try. Uh, had tried to pick up Sharice, which was his wife at the time, mm-hmm. uh, who was partying with some friends at the Cat House. When she told him she was married to me, it didn't phase him one bit. He was all over her. Finally, she pushed him away. Izzy was really drunk, I guess. He starts this fight with Sharice. Maybe not the best move. He pulled. Uh, he pulled down her top in front of everyone. Mm. When she slapped his face, he fucking kicked in her stomach. What kind of an animal does that? One thing a lot of people don't know about me is that for years I studied Tang Soo Do, a Korean martial art. <laughs> That's what he says. Yes. Are you sure that wasn't like the number five combo that he ordered? <laughs> I have a red belt, which isn't a black, I know, but I can still kick someone's ass if He's I want. It's a red belt. That's adorable. I have the arrest record to prove it. Oh, As GNR was playing, I made my way to the wings when Izzy came off stage. I was like, hey, you fucked with my wife or something like that. I don't remember the exact words, exact words I said, but I said something and he's like fuck you and i'm like yeah really and then i fucking hit him with a solid right and he went down he was out cold suddenly there was security everywhere these awards shows are lousy with moonlighting cops and other paid thugs it was a fucking madhouse finally they take me into custody or whatever there's a guard on either side holding an arm that then uh that's when big mouth big tough axel rose comes up he's so brave with the cops holding him back uh <laughs> holding me back he's like i'm gonna fucking kill you how could you hit my guitar player what a fucking puss i'm like i'll go fucking right now i'll go uh right fucking now bitch and then security dragged me away as you might remember this started a whole feud i don't even know how axel got into it this had nothing to do with axel it was between me and izzy and as far as i was concerned the izzy shit was over but axel goes to the press and starts running his mouth saying that i sucker punched izzy and all this other shit fucking axel i had taken that ungrateful motherfucker under my wing when they were touring with us on the girls tour i helped axel <laughs> I helped him out with his throat when he was having problems, which that's kind of funny. Vince Neil helping with his throat. Like, yeah. Vince Neil's not the best live singer. Um, <laughs> I showed him a few tricks to help his voice, and here oh, he is. God. Is that one? And he, here he is challenging me to fight him. He came up with several different challenges. He'd say Tower Records on Sunset. He'd say the boardwalk at Venice Beach. I actually went a few times, but fucking Axel never showed up. <laughs> Meanwhile, Izzy called me and apologized for his behavior. Finally, I'd have an. I'd I'd had enough. I went to my buddy, Dr. Jerry Buss, who owns the Lakers, mm-hmm. and we cooked up this scheme for a fight at the Great Western Forum located in Englewood, near where I grew up. At the time, I think they had Wednesday night boxing at the Forum. Dr. Buss was one of my drinking buddies, always a guy who admired a good-looking woman. He was like, come on, let's do this. I went on MTV and challenged Axel to a three-round fight, which right. was the audio we just mm-hmm. played. Um, as, far, as far as I was concerned, it was on. Big Mouth Axel never responded. My offer still stands. I'm sure Dr. Boss would help us get into the Staples Center if we wanted. Axel, you are the Super Bowl of self-abuse. <laughs> Holy shit. Uh, that's hilarious. And I would want this. This still has to happen. Because this is still I don't think it would up. sell at the Staples Center at this point, do you? It or, should be wow. the opening card to Mayweather McGregor. <laughs> oh, man, that would be amazing. <laughs> Wouldn't it be? I mean, that would, that's if, perfect. If you're already mix-matching different weird fights, yeah, yeah might as well do it. That, that who, makes, who would your money be on? Now, it's, I think it's still an axle. Yeah, I agree. Uh, yeah, no, Vince. <laughs> Vince seems. I don't know. He seems too wobbly for me. 
<laughs> no comment. No on comment. This one for me. Do you think I'm you might not, use that? Oh, well, we're never having at some we're, point. We're like never I said I'm focusing on the music and for me to talk about that. Like 50, that's kind of cool. Though. You wrote a whole Izzy article, but you never heard right. that side of the story. So I haven't. But the story that I heard, the one that I listened to or have read most, is mm-hmm. the one in MTV, the MTV book um, on um, what's it called? MTV, the oral history of okay. MTV. I forgot what it was called. Um, but anyway, the story is like Tom Petty. It's Tom Petty witnessing what happened because Tom Petty was backstage mm. and he saw Vince like clock Izzy in the face. I don't know if Izzy was knocked out, but he always says that he remembers distinctly like he hit him so hard that like Vince's fucking gold like wrist thing flew off his mm. wrist and just, like hit the fucking wall. <laughs> so I don't know what it really happened. Nobody knows. Nobody really knows. So then knows, though but... the axle he hit like a powder puff thing is bullshit. If... Well, I mean, he could have he hit him in like a powder puff and his wrist thing could have still flown off. I mean, I don't know. Who knows? But politically, it's not a very politically correct statement, powder puff anymore. Yeah, not anymore. <laughs> no, we'll, yeah. We'll, we'll just ignore that. I don't know. I think that Axel has been known to know how to use the media to project whatever image he wants to project. He's really smart and he's really calculated in that sense. So I think that could have been embellishment or, you know, Vince Neil maybe does hit like a fucking powder puff. I have no idea. It's just talking shit, just like what McGregor and uh, Mayweather are going to do, just, you know, talking smack before the, the fight, which never happened. But I will say one thing. Both those guys have fucking been in a lot of fights. Like, I've seen videos of Axel punching people in the face. I've seen vid- videos of Vince Neil going at people. So He grew up in I Compton. I mean... I'm surprised yeah. they didn't actually figure out a way to actually get in a fight at any point. I think that one or the uh, one person from that like dynamic probably didn't really want to fight. I don't know who that was though, so we'll we, never know. We got to get to the bottom of this. This is we, we got to make like a documentary just on the fight of Axel and Vince, like a making uh, a murderer kind of documentary. <laughs> <laughs> just figure it out. I want mm-hmm. I want this to happen. There's so many people I want to see Axel fight with. He has such he has so many beefs, right? Like how many? Like twenty. Yeah, like twenty Tommy Hilfiger or some shit. Anybody like the Eagles great. of Death Metal or the Eagles of oh, Shit Metal? You once called them of shit metal. Pig, Pigeons of Shit Metal. And they right. put out a shirt that yeah. said the Pigeons of Shit yes, Metal. Yes, they did. Yes, yeah. they did. That's hilarious. <laughs> uh, so tell us. Was there anything else about Melissa that maybe that surprised you when you went? Uh, you went there. That surprised me. I mean, there were some cool stories about her being on tour and like how she's completely addicted to candy and how she's like. <laughs> gets like really basically high on candy before she goes on stage and she's jumping around like this maniac. That's I think funny. one thing I do want to talk about. So there's a point in the article where I talk about her hair, right? Cuz she has this very unique look, this blue hair that she's had for about a year and a half now. And it started off at the Troubadour show in April and then she carried it over to every show because it became kind of her trademark and I talked about how that kind of made her like this symbolic icon, iconography in rock and roll and she is. I mean, she's a band member, a, f- a literally one of the key members of the biggest rock band on the planet right now as part of probably the biggest rock tour since what the Eagles in 94 the hell freezes over probably this is probably the biggest rock tour since then right I'm or thinking, at least the Stones maybe um, Voodoo Lounge tour I don't know Black like, Sabbath maybe uh, I don't know how well, well this is way bigger than that yeah, yeah. yeah. Sabbath, Sabbath wasn't yeah. playing arenas how well did the I mean, or stadiums how well did the police do when they reunited well, for that one year it has to be bigger than that yeah. no one gives a fucking shit about the police <laughs> <laughs> I like the, the police fuck? but I they're, they're not the same category they're as they're like, are they man. even rock? they're like reggae and shit fuck that let's, let's move on <laughs> sorry but, I brought yeah, it up but no but I mean like so she's part of this big so my editor, God bless his heart, he made a decision to use the headline that, you know, Melissa Reese is a rock icon, right? That was the headline in the article. You guys would not fucking believe how much shit I got thrown at me for that headline. Like, how dare you? She's not a rock icon. She's, you know, blah, 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 blah. All these GNR fans were so pissed off for calling her a rock icon. And I'm like, well, you know what? Like, she is. 
she's one of the most famous people on the planet right now, and she's part of this band that's probably bigger than... I can't even think of a band that's bigger than GNR right now. Maybe you too. But, like, they're fucking huge, and she's an icon. It's iconography. She's a symbol of a movement or, or, or of a genre or of a period of time. So all the fans that have a problem with that headline, that's journalism. It's how it works. Headlines are designed to draw you in. Number two, she is a fucking icon, so shut the fuck up. <laughs> That's, that's my take on it. I'm curious uh, what her aunt does that she has this mansion you were able to go into. <laughs> I have no idea. I mean, it, I, I don't, a mansion, I don't know. It was a big house. It was a pretty house. Yeah. She had a little cool, she had a little recording. I'm just wondering if she has, if she's in the music industry or... As far as I know, no. I think, no, she's not in the music industry. I know she was classically trained as a kid. Um, she went to like, I don't know, she was just uh, uh, like a... Her sister said she was a musical prodigy. Hmm. So Melissa was kind of one of those people that knew how to like play Bach and shit like five years old. Awesome. Really ridiculous, ridiculously musically talented. And you, and you could tell because if you listen to her, her stuff, because she has a lot of, yes, she has solo stuff. She has a lot of stuff she's done for video games and movies. She, she remixed a Taylor Swift song. So she's, she's all over the place. I, I do dig her when, you know, when you watch them live and it does have a, a distinct sound, you oh, know, yeah. especially when I hear Welcome to the Jungle and I hear the like, uh, you know, that in a higher register part. Right, it's right. pretty cool. I, I, I enjoy it. It's different. Yeah. I she, think it's important to have a female in that band. Sure. Because we, we keep talking about where this band is in, in history or even just currently, and just to have a female in there right. as they're gaining newer and younger fans to kind of just... Because when you think about all these older classic rock bands, are any of them female still? Right. I mean, the heart's still going around, but it, it's it's difficult. Uh, Fleetwood Mac, you know. Yeah, the, Fleetwood Mac. I know Stevie Nicks does solo stuff, but it's... it's well, they're playing that. It, did it already happen? I think it, it might be happening next month, that show at City Field. It's like... Um, Fleetwood Mac, um, Journey, the Doobie Brothers, it's this oh. big two-day festival. Oh, I think it's the... And it's going to be the Fleetwood Mac, you know, with Stevie Nicks. Right. So. I think it's because, uh, I don't know if... You, did you go to the, the desert trip last year? No, I did not. My, uh, my editor did, though. He liked it. Okay, because I think they couldn't put that together this year, so they're, they're doing something else. Desert Trip, if you remember, of course, with the Stones and Bob Dylan and all that. Right. I was hoping, I was like, oh, Desert Trip 2017, it's going to be Guns N' Roses, it's going to be Zeppelin. It's gonna be, uh, I don't know, maybe next year. We'll see. Yeah, I don't know. I don't, I'm not really into that whole Coachella, Golden Voice thing. It's too much. It's too much like a... But it's old Cella. It's not Coachella. Yeah, I know. It just even, even GNR at Coachella was just like... That was, of all the stuff that I saw, that was the one where I was just like, you know, I don't really want to be here. I don't like Coachella. Half these people are fucking annoying. A bunch of, like, snobby celebrities and, like, rich kids who just want to come there and, like, get high and, like, listen to stupid DJs, spin <laughs> stupid electronic, like, garbage. It was just like, why is, you know, why do I have to watch GNR here? But, you know, I got to see, no I got to see November Rain right in the front. Nice. Like, right where you could, like, basically touch the stage. Because I just pushed my way all the way to the front at Coachella, so that was great. Did Amber yeah. Rose actually go topless like she said she was going to? No, Remember, she was like, no, "If I yeah. get to see, uh, why is she slash, famous, By the way, why is she she's famous? She's hot as hell, but dated Kanye. That's the big uh, thing. Yeah. But uh, wow, like it's, come on, you can't tell she's not sexy. I but, think her uh, going topless is just like an everyday thing. At this yeah, it's point. not. So it's not anything yeah, whatever. New. Yeah. I mean, she <laughs> fucking had her pussy out on Instagram. Yeah, she doesn't care. She's just. And we can only say it. that because it's a podcast. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's so I'll weird see. saying that into it from a microphone. I know. Yeah. And actually, this is uh, funny because you mentioned <laughs> going off that uh, the girl that I'm dating now is through Tinder, and right. her opening line was, "I was at Coachella when Guns N' Roses was there, and I guess walked past them." No shit. Yeah, because she's she's cool. she's a little bit of um, uh, hip a hipster. So it's, that that was her because I have I'm in a GNR podcast on my Tinder profile because that's obviously something very you proud wrote of. that on there really wow oh, well because it gets responses okay how many people have that 
That's so true. her thing was not like, many, only two people in the world. This is very <laughs> true. So no, her thing, her thing was just to, to see if she can like uh, piss me off right away. Oh, that's weird. Clearly, man. It worked clearly. That's that's a crazy story. That's why I just bring that up. Yeah, I don't want to talk about Tinder, but I will talk about. I've met a lot of mm, really hot girls who like GNR, who are like hipstery girls in Los Angeles who are like really obsessed with talking about GNR and knowing about you know have you met Axel have you talked to Izzy and shit it's just kind of it's goofy I think it's and cool man they don't really know shit about the band though that's the funny thing they don't even know like half the songs they just know like November Rain but the Guns N' Roses logo has become so iconic right. that you do see here in New York and I'm sure in LA I can only go based off New York because this is where we live but you see all different people of all age ranges wearing that Guns N' Roses logo, and you could kind of infer half the time they're probably not even into the band. Oh, what about Art? Your 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 best friends, the Kardashians, didn't they just release? Uh, and they had to kind of retract it. Oh yeah, uh, some T-shirts that had like classic images of like right. Ozzy and mm-hmm. uh, I don't Tupac know, maybe, and Biggie, and, and they put like their picture in front of it. Right, like it just it looked like the Three Wolves kind of picture, but obviously with an iconic. Uh, rocker and them I and and, and, and Sharon responded you know saying sweetie you haven't earned that <laughs> and he took yeah. it down I saw the one with Jim Morrison they had I guess Kendall's face was right. on a shirt instead of Jim Morrison right so I mean like, GNR is yeah. in, the, in the same vein where you know you may not have to be in the same you might have to be a fan but you like the logo you like the band you know, like I don't know what it represents maybe you yeah know. I know I mean I can go to fucking Forever 21 at the mall and you'll see a Poison shirt now you'll see yeah. a Van Halen shirt you'll see a Guns N' Roses shirt I and mean, there's a bunch of fucking it's like hair metal or 80s rock is so popular now it's become more like a brand or a fashion statement mm-hmm. it's the which imagery. sucks which sucks because it's like you're gonna fucking see these people who don't even know about the music and they're not being exposed to the music because of the fucking fact that terrestrial like K-Rock doesn't play you know, Guns N' Roses anymore. Really. We don't even have K-Rock anymore in New York. No. There you go. We they, Our, like, KLOS is our classic rock station in Los Angeles, and they play stuff like that, but they don't play, like, Great White or, like, Tesla or any of the... I mean, Eddie Trunk does on his ship. He's the only one that's doing that. Really, Full yeah. Metal Jackie, maybe, in Los Angeles will play some of like, the, the older metal stuff, but no, no one's really playing it's anymore. It's hard. So. Uh, I know we spoke with Catherine last episode. I know Alice Cooper's show tries to do that, especially with the newer music from older bands. So, yeah. I mean, I'm not sure because I'm not programming their stations. Maybe they're playing the new Great White. I have no idea. But she said she would play the new Guns N' Roses. And down the hall, Q104 played Chinese Democracy when it came out. But oh, it, yeah. just, it just died really quickly. The, the yeah. funny thing on the T-shirt end of uh, things is I'll out that you're wearing a Justin Bieber T-shirt right Hell now. Hell yeah. And out that. You, where did you, you get guys... it? Do you have to tell everyone where you got it? I stole it. No, uh, yeah, I got it from a Goodwill. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> really? <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. I. Uh, <laughs> but it's not the one that you're wearing. But did you see the Justin Bieber tour shirt? It's based off the Pentagram logo, like the band Pentagram. Really? And it's, yeah, but it's a fucking Justin Bieber tour. So, like, that shows you how iconic that these bands' logos have become. Mm-hmm. That, that You see that Thrasher shirt everywhere. Half these kids don't skate. Yeah. But it's just, it is what it is. Um, That's true. That's really popular, the Thrasher skateboards. Everywhere. Everywhere. But, yeah, um, I don't get it. I, I know we're wrapping up here, and there's so much to get into that we just, like, we hit so much let's with the fast. other time. We got to get into let's the 30th anniversary of Appetite right. and some of the exclusive stuff that you're breaking with this book. Right. Well, the book is not going to Well, the book is going to have a lot of shit that I I don't really can't talk about now, but what I'm doing for 30th anniversary is I do have a piece coming out in Ultimate Classic Rock um, that's going to be kind of a I don't know how to describe it, more like a 
tipping point kind of discussion of the trends, the culture, the music, the history, the stuff that happened between 1986 through 1988 that kind of took Appetite for Destruction from being potentially a solid, you know, good, successful debut rock album to becoming the biggest debut rock album of all time, literally of all time on Billboard. Um, I think it sold... God, I forgot how many million worldwide, but a ridiculous number. 30 million, I think, worldwide at this point, international sales for for that record. So that's kind of a phenomenal um, fact. And I think Ultimate Classic Rock wanted me to do like a history, to, to go into really the like the parts, the history of the record that no one's really touched on, which is talk, to talk to everybody from you know, Tom Zutat to Alan Niven to the various kind of players and read all the various magazines and the history and the facts, the stuff that I know that nobody really knows, that I've researched like a geek. So that's going to happen. I also got to, you know, I'm lucky enough to be able to go to the home of the guy who basically signed Guns N' Roses to Geffen Records, Tom Zutat, um, and then to interview him about the same kind of question is how did this album go from being, you know, just another debut rock album? Because it really was when it was released um, in July, I think July 21st, 87. It, it, did, it did well. I think it sold 150,000 copies in the first two or three months, which is, a, you know, a solid debut. For a rock band, it wasn't a failure. I mean, the whole thing about Appetite was a flop. It was complete bullshit. It was never a flop. It was a solid debut. Now, what it took it from being a solid debut to being the biggest fucking album of the era is an interesting story. And you know, we've all been told the whole thing about David Geffen calling MTV, or you know, like all those various facts you hear about. You know, the Up Rocks documentary did a really good job of that. Um, talking about David Geffen and Tom Zutaw and all that shit. But there's so much more. That no one's really talked about, mm-hmm. and I try to talk about that in in this article. Um, and you know, I'm gonna interview Tom, and I'm gonna ask him all the questions about that record. Everything, no holds barred, no fucking nothing's off the record. He's gonna fucking tell me everything, and I'm gonna be there with him in his fucking house. I'm gonna ask him every question about this record that I could think of for the fans, and he'll, hopefully he'll you know tell tell it like it is, and hopefully we won't get sued. <laughs> Somebody, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I don't go there. See, I don't go I don't go into those kind of things that would get us in trouble, because who cares? I don't want to know about someone's private life. I want to know about the record, and what I think is, in my personal opinion, the greatest hard rock record of all time. So that's what I'm doing on the appetite front. Other than that, man, I don't really know what else to talk about. I mean, I'm doing a book. Um, it's going to come out probably in a year and a half. Or maybe is, this your, is this going to be your first book? My first book and probably my only book when it comes to rock and roll. I have no interest in writing about any other rock band. I think Guns N' Roses is the only thing I really want to do. Hmm, and okay. I think it's going to be everything. Like I've been do, I've been, I've been preparing to write this book, researching, cultivating it for about three years now. So this book is going to be like probably the, in my opinion, the definitive book on this band. And I'm not just saying it to put myself over and make myself, make, make myself sound great. I've literally invested my life and everything, my blood, into the, making this record. Like, there's relationships that have fallen apart, financial situations that have, like, been an issue, a lot of professional things that have kind of come in the way. And this, this, this process has not been easy, but it's like, to me, it's like, if someone's going to write a book about Guns N' Roses, it has to be way better than anything that came before it, or just don't do it. So that's kind of my objective with this one. So there's going to be a lot of secrets, a lot of cool information, a lot of unknown historical tidbits that I'm going to reveal in the book. We'll talk more about it, though, like when we, as we get closer. No, of course. Absolutely. You have a very Guns N' Roses approach 
to your uh, journalism, which I, <laughs> what I does like, that mean? What are you what are you trying to say? Um, that you don't care that you um, in a good way that you <laughs> and, have an integrity. Secretive. That you have well, I don't know how secret. Yeah, well, because well, you know how what you look like. The fact, no, but the fact that he's, you know, he's not telling us with the Tom Zutat like exactly what right. you guys discussed. We're gonna have to wait for the article. You have to wait for the article. I can't talk about a lot of things. There's, and look, here's the thing: my book's gonna have stuff that I haven't talked about. There's so much shit that I haven't talked about over the last year and a half to two years that, you know, I'll never reveal stuff someone told me not to reveal ever. Off the record is off the record for me, period. Never going to change. That's my word is my goal. Like, if you tell me a secret and tell me don't tell anybody that, it'll never leave my mouth, ever. Even if it meant, like, a million dollars in my pocket. I would never do that. I don't I'll tell do... you a secret right now. What? See these boobs? Yeah. They're totally fake. Really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. You're transitioning? Uh, it's too late. <laughs> I got to shave my beard first. Oh, that's funny. Have you, uh, other than Melissa, have you met any other of the other members of GNR and personally interviewed them? No, I haven't. I haven't okay. met any of the members. And it's funny because all the people that I talk to in, in the in the world of rock journalism has, have gotten in a fucking Slash or Duff interview in the last five years. I didn't get an interview, but I did board up Steven Adler, which I like to bring up <laughs> oh, no, pretty I, often. I did interview Steven Adler. I guess I forgot about that. I did. Okay. So I, I guess He was I, so nice, man. Where Did you get the same impression? Yeah, I've interviewed him twice, and, and his mom, and he's really fucking great, and his brother's awesome. They're they're great. They're like just normal dude, and you know talks about rock and roll. But I was actually know. rewatching him on Celebrity Rehab. Oh, I mean, God. it's been so many years, but I wanted to rewatch it, and I was telling um, I got to grab the clip, but I was telling Brand uh, Brando about when they grab him from his house, and he's like. Right, I he's, remember that. At one point, he's like, Slash is recording a solo album, and I don't know why he didn't come to me to do the drums. And he says, <laughs> I remember in his words, he's like, he went to that piece of shit, Matt Sorum. Yep. <laughs> so, like, he wasn't very fond of him, at least at the height of his drug days. Yeah, I don't think anybody's really, I mean, well, I'm not going to say anything negative about Matt Sorum. I don't really know him personally, but, you know, I think that, you know. If you're a GNR fan, you're a Steven Adler fan, he's the OG. He's the guy that should have been on every record moving forward, and he wasn't. Whatever. I will say one thing, though. I don't think Steven Adler could have played Civil War the way Matt Sorum did. I think Civil War was the one song where I was like, fuck yeah, Matt Sorum is the guy for that song. Mm. He like ripped the, the fills and the shit he did in that. That song was such a uniquely Matt Sorum song. Every other GNR song, I think, could have just been Steven Adler, mm, and it would have been fine. I, I mean, I don't know. He's got a unique sound. Like, You Could Be Mine, the drums on there, I think, are True, very unique. True. The the, yeah, the, the drums. See, for me, I, it doesn't matter. I mean, yeah. the drumming is just not what I pay attention to. Oh, I mean, you, it's, it's, you, it's no offense to anyone. It's you just, feel it, though. I feel it, when I, especially when I go to a show, but just on a record, it's just the way my brain is. Right. Uh, I mean, I could be like the average fan, if I could say that, that lead singer, guitarist. I mean, I you know, obviously with this band, it's, it's different. I know everybody and all the players. But I guess, I, unless I really try to hear, listen to the drums, I don't have the ear. And it, that bothers me. It's possible oh, that it's know. that you just don't notice it right away. You that know might what I mean? Be it. Because the thing is, I think people like what makes a good horror movie, for example, is that soundtrack. <laughs> and because it's the true. stuff that's going on is not really that scary, it's but true. if you have like um, that John Carpenter soundtrack, yeah. it'll scare the shit out of you. The way that they build <laughs> up to things. So it's they possible that, that if yeah. Matt Sorum was on Appetite and he did the entire album uh, with his drums. You you might not like it as much and That's not realize point. it. Yeah, no, that is uh, definitely a fair point. So I, I think shut me up. Adler's, drum, <laughs> Adler's fucking drumming on Appetite was phenomenal. He was like the Ringo of hard rock, and he was great, and he was sloppy and fun and ridiculous, and that's what made GNR GNR, and he was like the, the defining drummer for that band. Well, I, and outside of the albums, just for the live show, the, the his attitude, like, yeah. you can't replace seeing that smile behind the drum kit that you see him, and like, just... 
like I think Frank loves playing with the band. I think Matt loves playing with the band. But when you watch Steven, you know he's having the time of his life. You mm-hmm. can't you can't replace that. Like um, I'll, I'll just give one example before we wrap up here. But um, I'm a big Fear Factory fan. Mm. Their current drummer, Mike Heller, like amazing technical drummer, but he gives no emotion as he's drumming at all. Right. He's just back there. I mean, you're not seeing me, but he's just back there, like, hitting the drums, no expression on his face, completely emotionless. And, you know, I like to watch someone who is enjoying what they're doing. Yeah. That that makes a big difference to a live show for me. Yeah, Adler was the, the fun in GNR in a lot of ways. Well, you know, Frank is great and Matt are great, and drummers can always, you know, pick up the pieces. Like you said, it's not that big of a noticeable thing for most fans, so it's fine. It's not like Slash or, or Duff. I will say one thing, I, I noticed Duff's playing a lot. I don't know about you guys, but like Duff, to me, such his his specific style of, pick, of playing with his pick and the way he plays those songs really does make a difference for me. So that's one thing that I hope they never have to replace Duff McKagan because that guy's a badass punk drummer. I mean, p- punk bassist. Yeah. So I love him. So why don't you marry him? Um, <laughs> sorry, but their what? great humor knows no bounds. <laughs> we can do that now in Los in California. This so. is very true. Well, Art, this was a, a treat. Legally everywhere, man. Well, Nationally. Right. It's everywhere. I don't, yeah, it's, well, I don't know. Cross our fingers. I don't have to worry about it, so I don't really think about it too much. <laughs> I'm not marrying a guy anytime soon, so it's, it's not my... Oh, damn it. <laughs> I mean, Art, this was a, a pleasure. You had said a while ago you're coming into New York. and New York. Uh, New York, and uh, it's, a, it's a pleasure to have you in the flesh. Thank you. Oh, how do you like it uh, before we end here? Do you New like York? New York? Oh, he gets freaked out. Um, no. I like, I like <laughs> the smaller neighborhoods. I like the Bushwick kind of vibe a little bit. The big, overwhelming city with too many people and too many cars and too many pissed off yelling, people yelling at cars. and It's overwhelming for me. It's just, it freaks me out. I like to be in a quiet... You know, like I said, if it was up to me, I live on a farm with my shotgun and my fucking records, and like I wouldn't fucking talk to anybody except my TV, and I'd watch movies and listen to GNR all day. Sounds like you, Ian. Yeah, well, if you listen, if you visit Brando or I, like we live on quieter parts of Long Island, and it's a lot, it's a there lot go. different of the vibe than here. That's the suburbs, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's so, cool. I have a driveway, and there's sidewalks. It's See, it's wonderful. I live Bushes. by the water. That's what I'm talking about. So, uh, wrapping up here, of course, visit arttavana.com, at arttavana on Twitter, and Art is extremely active on social media. Fuck yeah. And he's a a great follow, so check him out. Art, again, absolute pleasure. Now I know what your face looks like, Yeah. uh, in addition to, you know, your, your... the lovely voice on the phone and just following <laughs> your, your tweets and all that fun stuff. So this was great. Thanks for taking the uh, the time out. All right. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. All right. So uh, now um, we don't know when the next time we will be back. But in the words of Axel Rose concerning Chinese democracy, I don't know if soon is the word, but you'll see it. You've been listening to the distorted minds of Brando and Scotto, dissecting all things Guns and Roses on Appetite for Distortion. Follow the guys on Twitter at The AFD Show and on Facebook at Facebook.com slash The AFD Show. Thanks to the lame-ass security, I'm going home.